Hey, MEAC fans, it's time to step into a championship. The 2023 MEAC Men's and Women's Basketball Tournament tips off March 8th through the 11th at the Scope Arena in Norfolk, Virginia. Join all the Me action with competitive basketball games, fun theme nights, and fan fests, official after parties, and comedy shows. Tickets are on sale via Ticketmaster, and you can log on to MEACHoops.com for more info. The 2023 MEAC Basketball Tournament. Who will be crowned champion? Montgomery County, Maryland is where businesses go to be next. Home to a highly skilled, diverse workforce, a thriving business community, competitive incentives, and more. MoCo will help transform your business. Visit bnext.thinkmoco.com to see how we can help you be next. Welcome to the Fantrax Toolshed. If you love Dynasty Leagues and prospects, you came to the right place, because that's what this show is all about. Covering the majors and all levels of the minor leagues to give you the leg up in your Dynasty Leagues. Now, here are your hosts, Eric Cross and Chris Clegg. All right, Dynasty and prospect fanatics around the world, welcome to the Toolshed. This is episode 34 of the Fantrax Toolshed with Clegg and Cross, powered by Fantrax and FantraxHQ.com. I'm your host, Eric Cross. We have another great episode in store for you all today. And with me, as usual, is my slightly sunburnt co-host from Fantrax HQ, Mr. Chris Clegg. Chris, are you using any spider tack to enhance your analysis tonight? Oh, man, apparently it works pretty well. So if I can increase my analysis that much, then... Maybe we should try it out, but maybe it'll help sunscreen or sunburn too. You know, right. never know. We got some uh, raccoon eyes going on. Just back from the beach. That's why the episode's a little late, but hey, we're excited to be back and chatting about some baseball. Nothing wrong with a little family vacation, a little rest and relaxation. Everyone needs that from time to time. I'll, I'll be taking my vacation for a week in August, but going to Philadelphia, it's not like it's a nice beach. Uh, location probably begins too sunburnt in Philadelphia, though maybe if I go to baseball games, you never know. But I will fully admit I am using a a performance enhancer right now. It's called Coffee Milk. That's my usual performance enhancer on podcast. Got my big old cup right here. Um, but before we get into the show, none of the spider tack jokes. You all have heard a lot about spider tack over the last few days, and we'll probably hear a lot more about it. Uh, so let's get right into the show here. But before we do, the usual housekeeping. You can follow us on Twitter. Chris is at Roto Clegg. I am at Eric Cross 04. And our show is at Fantrax Toolshed. Please subscribe to our podcast. Leave us a five-star review on iTunes or on your preferred podcasting platform. And please check out our new uh, Patreon. Actually, it's not really new anymore, a few months in. But check out our Patreon, please. A lot of great stuff that we do there. Extra written content from both of us. Bonus podcast. Private Discord access. Access to our live prospect and dynasty rankings. And much more. These perks are available across four different tiers, starting at just $5. Or if you want to thank and support Chris and I, you can do so for as little as $1 a month. Sign up today at patreon.com slash toolshed And check out all the other great written and audio work we have on the network, including our other two baseball podcasts, Five Tool and SP Streamer. But all right, Chris, let's get into this week's episode. A lot of topics, a lot of stuff to cover today. Uh, we'll talk some prospects in the first half of the show. Take our break, then come back and get into some MLB player talk, some dynasty talk on the second half. So a lot of stuff. So let's get right into it with some prospect promotions. 
lot of relevant ones over the last week, week and a half or so since we last podcasted. We'll start with the two that actually just happened within the last few hours. Matt Manning getting the call up to start on Thursday uh, against the Los Angeles Angels, and I believe Shohei Otani is who will be scoring off against in his first start. He gets the call, and then Jesus Sanchez for Miami, uh, which is everyone's been waiting for him, tearing out the cover off the ball uh, so far. You know, it's it's easy to tell which one we're more excited about because one of these players has been performing very well in the minor leagues this season. The other one, not so much. So uh, let's start with Jesus Sanchez here, Chris. How excited are you about Sanchez? And do you think, you know, the first time he came up last year, he went like, was a one for 25, struck out a lot, didn't look great. Uh, so are you more confident that he can really, you know, perform well this time around? I think it's possible. He seemed to improve the plate discipline some this year, which I think is a really big factor for him. And that's something that I think's hindered him in the past. And the reason that he came up and struggled so poorly last year, I mean, just very, very rough when he came up. But this year so far, I mean, it's hard to deny what he's done in AAA with a slash line of 349, 400, 643, nine home runs. But I do have concerns that I think he might be just slightly streaky. Uh, over his last 20 games, I mean, he's just hit 237 with two home runs. The strikeouts are, are still down at just below 20%, and which is nice. That's what you like to see, especially out of a, a guy like this. I don't know. I mean, he could come up and hit the ground running, or he could come up and struggle. It's highly possible that he comes up and, and doesn't light the world up. And, you know, I don't know. The, I think the jury's still out on him, for me at least, even though I'm a little more confident this time around. I think that he could come up and struggle. I think that there could be some streakiness. There's still some holes in the swing. In my opinion, he's always had the physical tools, but the the approach has always kind of been in question. So I'm really curious to see what the approach looks like against big league pitching this time around. So it'll be interesting. I'm not rushing to add him, but I think he, you know, it's possibly comes up and and does have a hot start and could get you. I mean, he's got the power. He's got the tools for sure. So it'll be interesting to see what he does. Yeah, I think he's at least worth a speculative ad just because, like you mentioned, he has the tools. So there's a chance that you know this time around is going to be a lot different and he hits the ground running and is a, a nice asset for teams. So I think just the on the upset alone, I think he's worth an ad here. Um, you know, long term, I think he's going to be – I wonder how much he runs long term. He has one steal uh, this year in 33 games. He had five in nine attempts. Back in 2019, in 113 games, and obviously that's never been a huge part of his game. But you know, at one point, we thought of him as kind of like a 10 to 15 steal guy. And now I'm thinking he's not, nothing more than like you know three, four, five a year. Should should have good pop. You know, he's always showing good raw power. But he's the type of profile where you mentioned like he doesn't really walk a whole ton. Like for his minor league career, 6.4 percent walk rate. That's you know that's below average. I think average is around, around what eight percent, seven and a half, eight percent or so. so. That's below average. So he's gonna be he needs to put the ball in play, hit the ball hard. And I think he can do that. Like he's shown he can do that, but inconsistently. And he's now 23, almost 24 now. So yeah, I, I would go and add him. Like I did in a couple of leagues where I just have daily transactions. Uh, he'll probably go for a, a ton of fab, you know, this weekend as you know, all these top prospects always do. But yeah, I wouldn't go crazy to get him this year, but you know, if you can get him, you know, in daily leagues where you can just go and add him or, you know, don't have to show out a ton of fab in your league to get him. Yeah, he's at least worth a speculative ad. Uh, Matt Manning, on the other hand, I'm not 
touching right now. Like I hate to say that because I've always been a big Matt Manning guy. You know, got a live look at him in 2019. And I thought he was to be, you know, a frontline starter in the making. But changeup hasn't gone well since that look. And overall command, it seems like it's either, it's either plateaued or maybe even regressed from when I saw him this year in AAA. Not good. Like if if Detroit was like fully healthy, he wouldn't be getting a look right now. I, I fully confidently say that. And seven starts, eight point zero seven ERA, one fifty five WHIP. He's given up like five thousand home runs, but no, really eleven home runs in seven starts. So I mean, somebody somebody commented on my post earlier saying like it's kind of funny, like reverse psychology or like opposite day, whatever you want to say, like all the good pitching prospects have come up, come up and struggled that were performing well in the minor leagues. Maybe like the opposite happens like, Oh, Hey, he's been struggling in triple a he's to come up and dominate. That was kind of funny, but I don't see any immediate impact here outside of he'll probably get some strikeouts. You know, he's always been a big strikeout arm, but I'm going to let somebody else pay out for Matt Manning here. What, what do you think? What are your thoughts on Manning here, Chris? Yeah, I think the, the pedigree and the name is going to cause people to, to way overpay fab wise, just, because there's upside. I mean, there's always been the upside, but you mentioned, and I see people say, well, it's only been 32 innings of struggles this year, but what you didn't see is that he struggled last year at the alt site. There was a lot of reports about these struggles. And, you know, in 2019 in double a at 21 years old, he was absolutely dominant. And I think we have to remember that and remember what he's capable of But right now. I don't really see it. And I think when you, Factor in the idea that he struggled last year and we're now on over a year of struggles that I think it's concerning. And, you know, you look and honestly, the numbers are fairly similar, like underneath, like he's striking out, you know, right at the same amount. He's walking just a tad bit more than he was in 2019 when he put up a two, five, six ERA and a sub one whip. But what we see is he's struggling to command the pitches and he's allowing a lot of home runs. It's kind of what it comes down to right now. And people say, well, it's fluky. The home run to fly ball rate's fluky, but not when you're missing your spots like that. When you miss the spots and you're allowing the home runs, I don't think that's fluky. Yes, home run to fly ball rate can be a fluky thing from time to time. We see some positive regression in some sense, but I don't know. I wouldn't consider what has happened to him completely fluky. Yeah, his strand rate is you know pretty low. His BABIP is at 333 right now. So, yeah, I think that he could see – a rebound, but he had an 807 ERA, a 155 whip, his, even his FIP, you know, at 653. There's not a whole lot encouraging me right now. And so this year going against AAA hitter. So when you get up against guys like professional hitters in the major league, it'll be interesting to see how it pans out. But yeah, I'm not really buying in right now. Maybe it's a good time to buy low in Dynasty if you can, before, yeah. especially if he comes out and struggles. You know, if he right. struggles that first start. You really might could it might be rock bottom for value. His value's already dropped some, but in redraft, I don't, I don't think he's going to provide a ton of value rest of the season. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree with that. Like, I, I still like Manning. I still think he's got some solid upside, but it's that he needs that consistent third pick. He's almost like Chris Paddock, but you know, having the better the secondary being his curveball instead of Paddock's changeup. Like that changeup has shown promise. Like you know, I it flashed above average. Several times in my look, which is now about a little over two. It was May of 2019, so a little over two years ago. Uh, told you how long it was since he was really that good. But it flashed above average, but it just really hasn't 
been there. It's kind of like fringe average at best at this point. Just command overall has not been there either. So I don't know. Right now, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of dropping down my rankings, but still like him, and I agree with Chris here, would still uh, buy low in Dynasty if possible. So I still think this, the upside is there to be a pretty valuable arm. But right now, for like redraft purposes, I am staying away. But moving down to guys going up to AAA here, a uh, few that got promoted over the last week or so, but the two big names, Hunter Green of the Cincinnati Reds, Shane Boz of the Tampa Bay Rays, both dominating this year in AA, obviously, getting getting their promotions. In seven starts for Boz, 248 ERA, 0.74 whip, two walks to 49Ks. That's the thing right there, two walks. We'll go back to that in a minute. Hunter Green, also in seven starts, 198 ERA, an even one whip, 14 walks to 60 strikeouts and 41 innings. I put out a poll earlier today from our show account asking people who they like better in Dynasty Leagues. And last time I checked, it was split 50-50. So, Chris, who do you like more in Dynasty Leagues? Shane Boz, Hunter Green? That's kind of tough now. I mean, yeah. I think, well, even preseason, you know, they, they were similar spots, but and now they've both moved up into similar spots. I want to say Green because I think Green possesses a little more upside. It might kind of be crazy because Boz has, you know, been incredible so far this year. You look at what he's done. You mentioned the walks are down, which that has always been the problem. And I partially wonder if we're going to see that come back into play more. I mean, you know, 32 innings is a decent sample size, but it's not huge. So, you know, if those walks come back around, yes, the commands look better. But, you know, a guy for throughout his career has struggled to command the ball and walked a lot of guys, so I kind of have the question marks there. With Green, man, he's he's been impressive and, you know, one that people kind of wondered what he would be because he hadn't pitched professionally since 2018, and, you know, we saw him in that spring training game get kind of lit up. The fastball was really flat, and everybody was, like, kind of souring on him. But, man, he's been really good this season as well. One 980 RA, a 1-0-0 whip, and – Striking guys out like we know he could. The walk rate, sure. 8.6% is not that high in, in today's game. Some people may say it's high, but that's not high at yeah, all in, yeah, not in at today's all. game. It's not 40, great, but it's not bad. Yeah, yeah, it'll play, right, yeah. in, in 41 yeah. innings. So, you know, when you have a K-minus walk rate of, of nearly 29%, it's pretty dang good. And it comes with a swing and strike rate of 16%, which I think fully supports who Green is. The Arsenal's looked good. He blows the pitches by. I mean, the fastball gets way up there, you know, consistently in 101, 102 range, which is nuts. But he could easily turn into a closer. But I don't know. Both these guys have some reliever risk, but I really like Green's upside. And this is why he was picked so high in the 2017 draft when the Reds took him second overall because they knew he had this upside, and now we're getting to see it. So I would say Green, but I think it's pretty close. Yeah, it's very close to me, too. Like, I'll give a little spoiler here. I have Hunter Green currently 40, where do you go? 43rd in my rankings. Shane Boz, 47th. So, very, very close to me, too. They're back to back in terms of pitchers. There's no pitchers between them, uh, all three hitters between them. Yeah. I, Green does feel a little safer 
So, and I agree there's still, you know, some reliever risk in each of these profiles, but I think that risk has gotten alleviated a bit. Like, I don't worry as much about that now as I did, say, even two months ago, especially with Boz. I think Boz, I was more worried about going to the bullpen, uh, you know, adding Tampa Bay and their usage of guys, so you never know. But the fact that he's shown such improved command and control this year, he's not plus, but... You know, maybe he's to the point where he could be around average for both. I don't think he's ever going to be like a pinpoint specialist or anything like that. But I think the the year off, like I remember we talked with Shane Boz on Five Tool back, you know, right when the pandemic began for like early April last year. And he kind of you know, mentioned that he wanted to just kind of focus on some things and, you know, repeatability of his stuff and mechanics and whatnot. So he definitely seemed to have done that. And it's really paying big dividends now. So they only need the two walk. He's a 1.7% walk rate. That is ridiculous. Will that stick? Probably not, but better than I think he was 11 point whatever percent, 11.8%. I think it was heading into uh, 2021 season here. So definitely love what both these guys are doing. Some people have asked, like, do you think we see them this year? Probably not. You know, maybe, maybe they, they get a cup of coffee or kind of like the Lizardo route from a few years ago to use out of the bullpen and the year. I could see the Rays bringing up Boz, just have him as like an electric arm out of the pen down the stretch and into the postseason. Cause it looks like they'll probably, you know, either win the AL East or get a wild card. So I can see both these teams bringing them up just in, the, in a relief role. But for fantasy purposes, I don't think the real impact for either of these arms happens until next year, but definitely love what they're both doing right now couple other arms here that got called up. A couple Yankees arms. Luis Gill to AAA, and then Luis Medina to AA here. You know, which, which one of these arms do you like more, Chris, going forward? Do you like Gill more or you like Medina more? Uh, I think it's Medina. He's made some strides this year that has really stood out to me. And another one who, you know, the command kind of struggling, but he's made it work. Even, you know, he's walking 14% of hitters. That's question mark and i don't know the beginning of the year it looked better now the walk rates just soared and uh, that's yeah. the concern for me that he's kind of falling back off the strikeout rates way up at nearly 38 percent, but you can't live with a 14 percent walk rate it just won't work and especially considering the fact that you know his first three or four starts that walk rate was sitting around six and seven percent means he's walking a, a lot of guys recently and you know looking at the game log his last several starts he's walked three and then four over four and five innings so and then three in the previous start over four innings that is slightly concerning to me i still think there's more upside with medina than than gill even though you know gill's fastball you know really great there's some similarities here with both guys i think with you know a lot of strikeout upside some command issues and high walk rates It'll be interesting to see how it works out, but yeah, if I had to pick, I'd probably say Medina. Yeah, no, I'd agree with that. And, you know, I probably, we were looking at the schedule before we came on the air, probably get a live look at Medina next Tuesday. Uh, Somerset, the Yankees double-A affiliate, comes to uh, Portland here next week, Tuesday through Sunday series starting on the 22nd. And it looks like he, Medina should pitch that day or maybe the day after but should go in that series regardless so would like to get a live look at him and see how he looks but yeah that that it feels like he always kind of shows signs of improving that you know command and control and then it just goes back down like he just it's up and down 
So I don't know. I love the upside. I've always loved the upside of Luis Medina. I think he's, I think he has more upside than Clark Schmidt than Davey Garcia. I think he has the highest upside of any pitching prospect in that system. But you know, he probably has one of the lower floors in that system as well. And like you mentioned, that that fourteen percent walk rate is just not going to play. Like you, you don't see any. Like I just pulled up for qualified starters. Over the last 10 seasons, the highest walk rate was 13.1% Edinson Volquez 2012. Then you get Ricky Romero, 12.7%. Like, you don't, 14% is not going to play. And all these guys did not have good seasons that year that they had that walk rate that high. Like, looking at like Ubaldo Jimenez, Lariano, Sean Newcomb, uh, Giolito in 2018 when he was terrible. Just, you know, Dakota Hudson, 2019, Robbie Ray, 2019, Nick Pavetta this year. It's like you don't have success with that high of a walk rate, and he has a higher walk rate than anybody in the majors has had as, as a qualified starter in the last decade. So, yeah, definitely don't think – yeah, he needs to improve that. And at this point, I don't know. It's been so long. I'm starting to wonder if he ever does or if he's just, you know, high-leverage bullpen arm moving forward. But he could find some value there too, but we'll see. And then moving down to double A, you know, we had several high profile call ups from high A to double A over the last week. A couple of another Yankee, Oswald Peraza, up to double A. He's been on fire to start the season, five category producer. A couple of Tigers, Spencer Torkelson, Dylan Dingler got called up to double a Erie, which unfortunately does not come here to Portland or, or anywhere near here. So I will not get live looks at them, which stinks, but that's our COVID world that we're living in where travel is, especially in the minor leagues is greatly reduced. And then the last one, Cade Cavalli getting caught double a after his seven inning, no hit two walk 15 strikeout performance uh, last week, you know, with Torco saying that, that people were, it was funny. People were really, worried about him when he started off like he was really bad first like two three weeks of the season striking out a lot people are wondering oh do we value him too highly and now look at him now as of right now as that through high a he had 31 games even with that that terrible start 312 440 569 slash ops over a thousand five home runs okay he only has five home runs 31 games it's a little lower than what we thought, but still. 11 doubles, almost as many walks as strikeouts, 24 walks, 28 Ks. Torkelson's going to be fine. But you know, what are your thoughts on some of these guys, Chris? Yeah, I mean, that's why I think it's so silly to overreact to slow starts like with prospects. Absolutely. This is his first taste of professional baseball. And you mentioned the struggles. When he hit his first home run on May 22nd, since that day in 17 games, He's slashing 424, 507, 864. He's a 13.7% walk rate, 13.7% K rate, five home runs, 20 RBI, and even a stolen base to chip in there. So, is, is hitting over 400 good? Yeah, maybe. And okay. if you're Ted Williams. Yeah. <laughs> only for Ted. Yeah, only, only for Teddy Ballgame. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I think it's silly to overreact and talk about these guys not not being a top 50 prospect anymore dude it was 15 games like get a grip and let him adjust when when you never seen professional 
pitching before, it's going to take time. And Torkelson was one of the most polished college hitters in recent memory. And this is who he is. I mean, he's dominant. The hit tool is phenomenal. The power is phenomenal. That's what you're going to get. He can be an elite four category guy. I think that's what he's going to be. So if you, if you could have bought low, I think the chance is completely out right now. So I expect Torkelson to kind of move quick through the minor leagues and debut next year at some point. So he's going to be yeah. really solid. Yeah, agreed. I think you think he is a triple A call up this year. I think he could like later on if, if he hits well in double A. Yeah, I think I definitely think so. If if not, he'll probably start next year at triple A and then be up. We t- probably be clamoring for him to be called up right around this time next year, probably. So, uh, definitely, yeah, Torque's fine. Uh, but Dylan Dingler has really impressed me too. And you know, I'm not overly surprised by this because you know, we had the, the kind of the four big catching prospects in last year's draft. You had Dingler, Patrick Bailey, Tyler Soderstrom, oh, Austin Wells. Um, yeah, not really, probably not going to be a catcher long-term, but yeah, so we had those four, and I, I kind of thought at the time, like, you know, maybe Dylan Dingler is the best, like, all-round catcher in this draft class. He's, you know, pretty good defensively, offensively. He's at good pop. He's been, you know, obviously, he was hitting very well this season, earning that call up along with, he wasn't quite as impressive as Torkelson, but uh, I'm kind of trying to pull up his stats here. Uh, and there we go. In 32 games, 287, 376, 549, six doubles, eight home runs, a walk rate, you know, a little under 10%, strikeout rate, a little, you know, a little high, but not terribly high. Uh, but he's shown that he can hit for average, he can hit for power. You know, everyone likes to talk about. You know, obviously, Soderstrom is getting a lot of love right now. Francisco Alvarez, Gabriel Moreno, Cal Raleigh, all deservedly so. But Dylan Dingler needs more love. I think he could be top 100 dynasty prospect and top five catching prospect for dynasty purposes by the end of the year. I don't know. What, what are your thoughts on him? Are you as high on him as I am, Chris? Yeah, I mean, he's looked really, really impressive, and he's very disciplined at the plate. And I just don't think he got the love that he deserved, honestly, because he, there were so many other – great catching prospects in last year's draft like you mentioned with great bats and here he is just flat out raking you mentioned the stats i mean he's been phenomenal and he just looks so poised at the plate he gets the bat through the zone really quickly and he's got that power i mean a lot of i think a lot of people thought he may have average power i think there's more in the tank than that hit tool looks at least average if not better the the obp skills are there i mean he's got great plate discipline He's impressive. I think you're right. And I think that we we need to take notice and put him on more radars because he's just as good as some of these other catching prospects that that we've mentioned. Yep, absolutely. Uh, and the last one here, Cade Cavalli. Man, he has looked really, really impressive. Like I mentioned that last start where he put seven shutout, uh, no-hit innings, I should say. Excuse me. Uh, sorry, Cade. Seven no-hit innings with 15 strikeouts for the season through uh, his seven starts, 177 ERA, 0.89 whip, is 71 strikeouts in 40 and two-thirds innings, which I believe still leads the minor leagues, or at least as a couple days ago, I led the minor leagues in strikeouts. Almost two strikeouts per inning this year, just absolutely blowing guys away. I remember back in the beginning of the season, I think a lot of lists, they were close, but I think a lot of lists, uh, I think both of ours included, 
had Jackson Rutledge a little bit ahead of Kate Cavalli. Now that's <laughs> what a difference a month and a half makes, Chris. Like right. Cavalli is now, I moved him up. I think he was probably, if I had to guess, actually, I can probably tell you in my February update, Kate Cavalli was 138 and Jackson Rutledge, hey, 136 right above him. Now, Cade Cavalli is way higher than that. Uh, I lost him. Where'd he go? Oh, 66, but I'll probably move him up even higher uh, before I publish the next couple of days, probably up into the 50s. And Jackson Rutledge, who has struggled mightily, is down in around 150. I moved him too far. But, yeah, what a difference a few, you know, several weeks can make. But Cavalli's been damn impressive. Yep, 100%. And I think he's deserving to be right in that group of pitching prospects that we've talked about where there's no, maybe there's no defined number one, but there's a group of like 10 to 15 pitchers. I think he's every bit in that discussion. And he's, like you mentioned, he's looked phenomenal. He's been dominant. I think the biggest question mark still is his, maybe the injuries that have happened in the past. And maybe he puts that behind them. I think that's the hope is that if the injury history is past him, and he stays healthy like he's capable of being this upside arm. And it looks like the Nats got an absolute steal here. And you even look at what he did at Oklahoma, and he was good. But, man, he's just really improved his arsenal, in my opinion. He's improved a lot of aspects of his game, and it's really boosted him up a ton. So he's been highly impressive, and I think he's very deserving of a top 50 overall prospect. And in the midst of – a top 10 pitching prospect, in my opinion. I, I think he's definitely there. Yeah, you mentioned that kind of that cluster that of pitching prospects. That seems to just keep growing and growing. Like, that, I think that's easily like a 15-person tier right now. It's a, it, it, There's no number one. Like, some people some people still think it's Gore. Uh, you know, you hear some Grayson Rodriguez, you know, George Kirby, maybe still six. You know, Chris Wells had six, though. It's, I think you said you have Max Meyer. It's like there's so many arms up there uh, that there's no definitive one. Even, you know, people say they have a guy they like, but there's no, like, I don't think you ask any of them and they're like, oh, yeah, this is the guy. You know, may, maybe some of the, the Prospect Live guys have been pumping Grayson Rodriguez and rightfully so, but there's so many in that tier. And yeah, Kate Cavalli's up in there now. Hunter Green's in there now. Shane Boz is up in there now. You know, maybe, you know, and the two other guys I mentioned in my article the other day. Uh, Mick Abel, Daniel Espino, they have the upside to get into that range at some point. You know, you and I have gushed about Mick Abel in several episodes at this point. Um, <laughs> but uh, moving on here, though, so we, we talked a lot about pitching prospects on the rise the last few weeks. So we each wanted to talk about a couple hitting prospects that we're just really starting, maybe not planting our flag on, but really moving up our own rankings. Uh, Chris, who are those two guys for you right now? Yeah, and uh, those are both guys that I thought could potentially jump this year, and they've really been impressive, and that's Francisco Alvarez and Gunnar Henderson. And, man, you talk about catching prospects earlier, and I'm not super high on catcher for fantasy purposes, but Alvarez is one that he's been so impressive, and it's been impossible for me to ignore what he's done and I have moved him way up. He's my 26th overall prospect for fantasy, which is feels a little crazy, but I think he's that special. You know, he's always had the bat, and you know they're keeping him behind the plate, and and he's they're slowly developing him because they want him to be the catcher of the future. 
the bat's going to play the glove, the arm, they're coming around, but you look at what he's done and yeah, he's maybe struggled a little bit since he was bumped to high a, but even still in 126 plate appearances between low and high a still hitting 327, a 460 OBP and a 561 slug there with five home runs, even three stolen bases. And I don't expect him to be much of a runner, but I think the power is legit. And I think he's a legit 25 home run bat. And you look at the hit tool and it's it's there. I mean, even in 2019, as a 17-year-old in rookie ball, you watched him tear it up and hit for a high average and hit for power. And he's just continuing to impress. And I don't know, he he's blown me away. And you know, you see him and you watch him at the plate, and he's just got it. And you know, when when Rutschman graduates, I think he's the easy number one catching prospect for fantasy purposes because I think he's just that good. And so Alvarez is one that I've been really impressed with, and Gunnar Henderson also. And this is one that there were some reports out of the alt site that he was really breaking out. And a couple people asked me, like, well, why didn't you boost him in your prospect rankings? Because, like, I wanted to see it. You know, I wanted to see this happening. In some instances, we got to see it last year. Like, we watched Jaron Duran have a swing change because Boston publicized it. They broadcast their games. We got to see it. And some and other teams we didn't get to see it. And Gunnar Henderson's one of those where we didn't really get to see it. And now we're getting to see it. And he's taking off. He's been absolutely dominant. You you see the opposite field power. Highly impressive to see what he's done. He's hitting for average. He's hitting for power. He's even chipping in for some steals. And I love his ability to go to all fields. It's impressive. You know, and at the left side of the plate, you just watch what he does, mashing home runs to the opposite foul pole pulling balls over the fence. Just what he does is impressive. The strikeouts have eh, – there's been some strikeouts, but not not too, too bad. But still, he's put up a slash line on 328, 387, 615, over 1,000 OPS. Love what Henderson's done. He's vaulted way up in our rankings, almost inside my top 40, but he's in that 40 to 50 range right now. So both these guys have made major jumps to me and really impressed me with what I've seen. And he's got a great baseball name too, Gunner Henderson. You gotta love yep. that name. So many ways you can go with that. Some cool nicknames that'll probably arise from having that name. But yeah, you know, with, with the daily prospect update, stats update that I do every morning, you know, somebody commented about you know, a week ago or so, like, like, hey, this is basically the Gunner Henderson update. I'm like, yeah, pretty much. He's in there every day, more often than not. Like Alvarez is in there a lot, obviously. Uh, yeah, definitely love both of those guys, and I've moved both of them up. A lot in my rankings as well. A couple others hinted on this one earlier. Tyler Soderstrom, you know, probably not going to remain behind the plate long term. Could he? Maybe. I don't think he'd ever be like a standout defensive catcher. But, you know, even if he didn't have, you know, Sean Murphy up there, who is struggling a bit now at the plate, but that the defensive skills of Murphy, like he's a very valuable real life catcher. So you probably see Soderstrom move to a corner, whether that's corner outfield, first or third, something like that. Definitely a corner. I think it's in the future. I just I couldn't tell you where right now. If I had to guess, I'd probably say corner infield over corner outfield, but you never know. He's a good athlete, 6'2", 200, strong, athletic guy, and he's hitting very well to start the season in low A Stockton, 299, 398, 5'11", five home runs, 14 doubles in 35 games. His walk rate is over 10% keeping the K rate in check right as a hair over 25%, which is not too bad. He's a 19-year-old getting his first taste of pro ball, so that is not too bad at all. 
So, you know, people think he loses value, you know, him or Wells loses value because they move off a catcher. You know, yeah, would you like to see this production on catcher? Obviously. But that bat is going to play. This is a legit potential plus hit, plus power bat, you know, 280 plus, 25 plus home runs. And I think he's going to be a dude, and he's already showing, you know, why the Oakland Athletics drafted him so highly, uh, 26th overall out of high school. Um, you don't see a lot of prep, you know, catchers drafted that highly. So uh, he's definitely, you know, shows why that, that bat is legit. And another one here, he, he hasn't been a huge riser up my rankings because I already had him high to begin with. But this is a guy that he's approaching top 10 overall for me. You know, all the tools that I thought, you know, were there, he's showing right now. And that's Garrett Mitchell. Through his third, he, you know, slightly delayed, you know, he had came in, he had, I think he had like what, two or three games, got hurt, came back about two weeks ago. So in 13 games this year, 368, 538, 526 slash line. He has three extra base hits, one double, one triple, one home run, six steals and seven attempts, more walks than strikeouts, 14 walks and 52 plate appearances, walk rate, you know, around 26 and a half percent. You know, the power is the question, right? Like we've that's kind of always been the question. He has he has that hitch in his swing and in his hips kind of flailing out. He's shown like a plus raw power. Like that's not the question. This is how much of that power will translate into game power. And that's still kind of the question. That was a question at the draft. It's still the question now. He has the one home run right now. But even as it stands, I think he's like a twelve to fifteen homer guy to go along with above average to plus hits and plus speed. But if he can get like up near 20, which is definitely possible, this guy is going to be an absolute fantasy stud. And I'm kind of banking on that happening. I don't think he's going to end up being a 12 to 15 home run guy. I think he'll figure it out at least to the point where he can get up to 20. This guy could be a 25 homer bat, 25 to 30 home runs. He definitely has that type of raw power. So I think he will figure it out to a point where he can tap into that more consistently in games. And he's going to be an absolute stud. So He's moving way up my rankings here. And once a few of these guys graduates, I can see him in my top 10 by the end of the season. And one other name that we want to touch on before we hit the break here, speaking of guys that are just tearing the cover off the ball, Nolan Gorman is absolutely on fire. He had a two-home run game followed by a three-home run game a few days ago for the season, 316, 388, 566, 10 home runs. He's trimmed the strikeout rate. You know, the walk rate is still above 10%. So a lot of good things going on here, Chris. What have you been your thoughts on Nolan Gorman this year? And where do you have him in your prospect rankings? Has he moved back up a good amount? Yeah, he's been a pleasant surprise when yeah. you look at the large body of work and, you know, the struggle with the hit tool, honestly. And, you know, even in 2018, he did come up in rookie ball and, and kind of mash and hit 350 and, had a 443 OBP, but I think that was seemed at the time like it was kind of a mirage, and you know he never displayed that hit tool. And in 2019, you know we saw it where he hit 248 over the full season between low and high A, and now in Double A, he's just tearing the cover off the ball, like you said. And the hit tool seems to to have improved. The OBP skills are there, and and we've known that he's been a solid OBP guy. And the power, you know, exactly like we thought. He's always had the big raw power. But I think the most impressive thing out of him has just been the hit tool improvement. We've seen the approach at the plate 
you know, be very, very good for him. He's not walking at a high as, as at, a, at as high of a rate as you'd like, but still, I mean, when you're putting those kind of numbers, you you can't complain with what you're getting out of him. And you know, especially the fact that if he does move to second base, I mean, they're not. I don't see them moving Arenado off third anytime soon. So at second base for fantasy purposes, this is a pretty unique skill set, I think. And like, kind of a we we got excited when Mike Mustakas got second base eligibility, and this is kind of like a seems to be like a better version of him, maybe. Which is yeah. kind of crazy, but you know, that's the kind of the skill set that he brings to the table. And you know, I like what I've seen. The strikeouts have been cut. He's got it. So yeah, I'm excited about Gorman. He's back inside my top fifty and could move up even higher. Yeah, I was trying to figure out like a good comp at that position, second base, and I, I couldn't come up with one. I think that's a good one that you mentioned. Um, everything else, like Jeff Kent, but he had a pretty good average for the most part. Like, like I, I still, th- I don't think he's gonna be a 300 hitter or anything like that. Even though I do like the gains he's made at the, at the plate this year with the approach and the contact skills, but you know, even if he's just like 260, 270 with 30 home runs, that is very valuable. That's a top 10 second baseman right there. Like you don't get 30 home run pop out of that position often. Like you mentioned, Arenado's a third. You know, who, who knows how long he's in St. Louis, but they have at least given Gorman some time at second base this year. He's made 21 starts at third, nine at second base. Looked pretty solid. He's actually he's got a better fielding percentage at second than he does at third. Um, yeah, he, he, he looked all right at second base. So he definitely has the athleticism to make that transition full time if that's the way they want to go. They have Jordan Walker in the mix as well. So uh, who knows how that kind of situation plays out. But yeah, Gorman has moved back up into my top 50 as well. And he'll probably be you know in the 40 range or so at my next update. So definitely like what I'm seeing there. But let's go ahead and take a quick break here. We'll come back on the other side and talk some major league dynasty players. So stick with us. All right. Welcome back from the break. So the other big piece of news today you know, whenever you get the two positive pieces of the news with the promotions, there's got to be a negative one. That's how it is this year. Tyler Glasnow looking like he's going to be out for a while. Partial tear of his UCL uh, and a strained forearm muscle. So this is going to be a, a long-term injury. We'll see. They're trying to go the rest and rehabilitation route as opposed to Tommy John. But, you know, often we see these turn into Tommy John. Uh, and you can tell, if you didn't look, uh, see his uh, press conference earlier today, I highly recommend you go look at it. It was great talking about, you know, how MLB's cracking down on all the substances on the baseballs and how he used a mixture of sunscreen and rosin just to get grip, um, better feel, not for anything to do with spin rates. He's like, I already got big enough hands, I can get spin that way. And he was frustrated that they're doing this kind of midseason, and I understand it. So definitely go check that out. But Chris, what's your what's your gut reaction, your gut check reaction here? Of you know, you you think he ever, he gonna goes Tommy John? Um, do you think he's gonna be out for a while? Do you think this is gonna really hurt his dynasty value moving forward? So what are your, what's your initial reaction uh, of this injury? I'm angry because I owned him everywhere. <laughs> you did, I, yeah, you I did. did. I didn't draft starters early, and he always slipped into the fifty to sixty range, and he was always my SP one, and it was looking great. Yeah, he, he looked he, good this year. Yeah, really good. Looked, he looked very good and was very helpful to my team. So as 
he's going to hurt the, I mean, I probably have him on 60% of my team, so it is going to be hurtful for sure. And, you know, like you mentioned, the press conference I thought was really good. And, you know, it was kind of sickening to watch the reactions to it because everyone, you know, saying that he was basically saying that he cheated, which I don't, well, I don't think that's the case. And people no. overreacting to all kinds of stuff about it. And every single pitcher uses something. And right. if you don't, you're falling behind. So I appreciate his openness and honesty about it. I thought it was a, a great thing what he said. And I, I was even reading like in 2018, apparently the baseballs they were using were like basically like a cue ball with a little bit of seam on it. Like, is that slick? So the guys have to use something. And it's frustrating. Like, this is like the epitome of what Rob Manfred and MLB do, like midseason do something stupid like this. And I just wonder if this is going to be a, a big issue with injuries. I, and we don't know for sure, but, you know, we see Glassnell go down, Bieber's hurt, Tucker Davidson went down tonight with with tight so- forearm, which I don't know. It is just kind of frustrating to see it happening and that they would do stuff like this. I mean, I'm, I don't know. Yeah. I'm, I'm frustrated, but <laughs> it, it, it is what it is. Baseball is just – Manford being baseball and being dumb. So, yeah, <laughs> concerning. I think Glassnow could be out a while. I don't know. I just think, unfortunately, I think that probably delay in the inevitable if they try to let him sit and rehabilitate it. But who knows? I mean, maybe it can work like Tanaka, but most time it doesn't work. So, yeah. Yeah, I don't, I didn't nearly have as many shares. I had a couple of shares of Glassnow, but. Yeah, I'm I'm angry just in general. Like th- this is weird. Not to get on a tangent about this, you know, change that MLB's doing, but it is weird that they're, they're doing it mid season. Like all of a sudden, oh, no, can't use anything anymore. And he mentioned how he had to grip the ball harder. His curveball, he had to get deeper into his his hands. Him the fastball, he had to grip it harder, and that you know, obviously makes you use your muscles and th- up through the forearm into the elbow more. And that's what Nick Savali kind of was wondering that when we had him on five tool last week like is this going to cause an uptick in injuries and i think yeah it's already off to a you know it's a bad start um with you know glass now and davidson going down and who knows who else in the, in the coming weeks but that is fair to think everyone thinks about you know spin rates and oh spinners will go down production will go down but i'm more worried about injuries like you know, if spin rates go down a little bit, fine. It's not like someone's going to lose 500 RPMs off their slider or anything like that. So um, I'm just worried about who's going to get injured here moving forward. And Glass now is the, kind of the first casualty of that. But, yeah, really sucks. But, yeah, I do like his, his openness and you know, how he handled that. And I think he handled it very well. So uh, anyone out there calling him out, I, I think you're – just go, go back and take another look at it because I think he handled it very well. And he even said he wasn't trying to call MLB, just kind of just, he was frustrated. He was showing raw emotion, which I wish more people would show. Um, so, yeah, definitely like how he handled that. So, hopefully he's not out long. Hopefully he's able to rehabilitate it and be back maybe later this year for their playoff run. Uh, though that would be bad for my Red Sox. But don't want to see a guy like this go down for long. Um, sticking in the division here, going up to Toronto or Buffalo or whatever they want to play this week. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. We haven't really talked about Vlad, so let's talk about Vlad here and, and a little bit about Bo Bichette too because they're both just absolutely dominating this year. You know, Vlad hit a 7,000-foot home run last night to tie up the game. I was watching the game, and I'm pretty sure it left Boston and landed somewhere in Connecticut. 
Uh, Bo Bichette is on pace for the first 140 run scored season since A-Rod in 2007. Also on pace for 30-plus home runs and uh, I think 20-plus steals, 100 RBI. So where do, where do you put Vlad in your dynasty rankings? Is he top five now? Is Bo top five? I think they both have at least a case for top five, both of them. What do you think? Yeah, I think make an argument. I think Vlad's is probably – I would say I'd definitely put – Vlad's in my top five. Bo, not quite. I think you can make an argument, but – with Vlad, I mean, he's been so consistent, and this is who we expected him to be, We that we waited for him to be. And we have to remember we were waiting. He's only 22 years old, so it's not like we waited forever for this to happen. And now it's happening. You know, he's just been so steady this year and absolutely dominant in every aspect of the game. And this is who he is going to be, an elite four-category contributor. I mean, already 22 home runs, 346 batting average, 56 RBI, 50 runs. So across those four categories, just absolutely dominating, not to mention a 451 OBP, which is highly impressive as well. The, the walk rate, you know, right there with the strikeout rate. Strikeout rate at 15.4%, the walk rate at 14.7%. It's been impressive. So, yeah, with Vlad, I mean, I think this is who he is. And, you know, the difference is not hitting the ball on the ground as much. What everyone knew he needed to do, and he's doing that, and it's changed like his aspects of his game where he's now an elite fantasy asset. And we knew it would happen at some point and everyone's kind of was sitting on it, waiting for it to happen and saying, well, I'm not going to invest this year. I'll be willing to miss out. And if you, if you missed out, I'm sorry. I mean, he's here. I think he's definitely top five dynasty guy, because we got to remember like as a prospect, like when he debuted, like he was considered like borderline top 10 dynasty, like by some people, like he was way up there and he kind of fell off a little bit, but yeah, I have no problem saying he's easily top five. You mentioned with Bo, I mean, super steady as well. Really good. I think he he's a borderline five category guy. I think I think you have to classify him as that now. Yeah. You know, you look at what he's done and if he keeps running like this, the power's there. You know, thirteen home runs is and not many when you look at Vlad's total, but thirteen home runs is still really good. Yep. You know, he he could be a thirty home run guy, I think. And if he steals 20 bags, even if he's a 25-20 guy, 25-25 guy, that's really, really impressive when you factor in the hit tool that he has. The only qualm I have is just the walk rate. You know, if you're in an OBP league, I think he's a little lower in OBP leagues, but still, I mean, he, he's absolutely dominant. And so I'm definitely a fan of both these guys when I've seen. Yeah, you know, you look at Vlad, <laughs> Vladimir Jr.'s savant page and – it's just littered with red, as you would expect. The lowest quality of contact metric he has is like a 94th percentile bill rate. Everything else is 97th, 98th, 99th, 100th percentile in X Woban, X Slug. You know, X of velocity 95.4 miles an hour, hard hit rate 55.6%. You mentioned that walk out, walk rate, strikeout rate, nearly identical, a little higher on the on strikeout rate, but still only 15.4%. And yeah, we, we wanted to see him. You know, what are the two things that a lot of people were saying? He needs to get in better shape. He did that. I, I follow him on Instagram and he was posting work multiple workout videos every single literally every single day of the offseason. This you know, with doing the ropes and lifting weights and doing sprints and everything, any more agility drills, everything. 
getting in much better shape. And obviously, you look at him now, look at him in 2020, it's night and day. And then get the launch angle up, you know, start hitting more balls in the air. Again, check. You know, he's the fly ball rate is up, line drive rate is up, ground ball rate is down, launch angle. Well, it's not like massive, it's 7.7 degrees. That's better than 4.6 degrees. Uh, and he's just barreling up everything right now. Like, there's, I can't, you can't find a weakness in Vlad's game right now. And yeah, he's like, you know, he gets more recognition because he's the one leading the league in home runs and with all these, you know, sexy stat cast metrics. You go to Bo's page, it's not as sexy, excuse me, as sexy as Vlad's. He doesn't have like a 99th percentile average exit velocity, but he brings speed to the table. He's going to score a ton of runs hitting second in front of Vlad, in front of, you know, Teoscar Hernandez and Randall Grichik and Lourdes Gurriel and Kevin Biggio. He's scored a ton of runs. Like I said, he's on pace for the first 141 season in 13, 14 years. We'll see if he gets there on pace for 144 right now. Leads the league and runs. So he's more of a five-category guy, so that kind of gives him that edge over Vlad. But, yeah, right now I do have Vlad uh, two spots higher. I have Vlad five and Bo seven with Trey Turner right in the middle of them. But, yeah, very, very, you know, that lineup is, especially when they get Springer back and if Biggio gets going, that's going to be a scary lineup. And, you know, Chris, when do we, you know, whenever you talk about the top organizations for player development, Toronto never really gets talked about. When are we going to start talking about them, at least on the hitting side of things, as being, like, one of the premier orgs for developing hitters? Like, you look at it, all these guys are basically homegrown. They still got Austin Martin, Jordan Groshans, Gabriel Moreno. They just find these guys and develop them. Yep. Uh, I think we have to consider him up there and easily top five in development. I mean, everyone naturally goes to the Dodgers, I think, as, as the best at doing that. And they do. But, you know, you look at what they've done, and that lineup is pretty much all homegrown, like you mentioned. And when you see that, I think it's highly impressive. And that's a fantastic lineup. If they start developing pitchers, then, you know, watch out. Watch out, yeah. Right. And they kind of have, not as much, you know, not as – much as the on the hitting side of things, but you know Manoa and I still think Pearson's gonna be pretty solid. They got Simeon Woods Richardson coming up maybe next year. But for on hitting side of things, can you think of any off the top of your head any org that's like boom better than Toronto for de- developing hitters? I can't like may, maybe the Dodgers, but you know I can't think of any any org that's like clear cut ahead of Toronto for offensive development. So uh, um, the White Sox maybe if if healthy maybe yeah yeah I mean. That's that's an if. I mean, you look at that line was pretty beat up, but you know, with Moncada. Oh, Moncada was Boston, I guess. Anderson, uh, Abreu, he was older though. And then you have the you know guys like Madrigal, Eloy, and Robert, but they're all injured right now. So, uh, yeah, I mean, Houston at one point, I guess, but now hard to say that. Who, who knows if that was from cheating or not? We don't have to get into that, but. You know, a lot of those guys were homegrown, but yeah, I mean, the Blue Jays have been right there with them and have been pretty impressive. Yeah, absolutely. And speaking of impressive, another American East, American League East hitter that has really kind of surprised came out of no, not out of nowhere, but you know, really risen up rankings this year. Cedric Mullins in Baltimore currently slashing 321, 389, 524. Nine home runs, 12 steals, leads the league in hits with 79 through 64 games. He's on pace for like a 25, 30, you know, the 35 steal season here. 
do you you know how legit do you think Mullins is? Like, how much are you buying into this, Chris? It he's a tough one for me to really gauge how I feel. And I don't know. I mean, I thought he would have fallen off at this point. Like I thought it was kind of a mirage, just a hot start, but <laughs> same here, yeah. At this point, and it's hard to say that. I mean, he's just been so good and he keeps hitting. And the power's a surprise, I think, but I wonder if it the power falls off a little bit. It's hard to say again because you know, look, his his exit velocity's you know about fifty second percentile, so it's not that impressive. Really, the biggest thing that I see is that you know he's kind of improved some contact metrics, not swinging and missing as much. And I think that's been a big factor, is putting the ball in play more and naturally getting a little more loft also has helped. So he's hitting some more balls over the fence, and you know, in Camden in the summer, that becomes a big yeah. hitter's park. So balls fly gonna, out of there. Yeah. Is he just going to continue to do this? I don't know, but you know, so you you look at what he's done, and you know the launch angle's up. There's kind of less ground balls now, which I think has helped, and that ball could really fly this summer. So maybe it continues. His hard hit rates up near forty you percent. Know, he's walking more. He's striking out less. There's a lot to like here. I just wonder how legitimate it is. It feels more legitimate now than it did a month ago, but still, I'm still struggling to fully buy in. So I don't know. He's a tough one to like for dynasty value. I think he's a tough one to really gauge like where the value's at. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I I think a lot of what he's done, a lot of the adjustments he's made this year are legit. Like he's you know improved the his approach, walk rates up, strikeout rates down, barrel rates up. You know a lot of those quality fundamentals are up, but at the same time they're up to a point where they're now kind of like average to. You know, some are slightly below average, some slightly above average. You know, even like you know, X slug is only 427 you know, compared to his actual slug of 522. So, you know, I think there's the power. Well, I think it will play up in Baltimore, like you mentioned. And you know, I don't think he's going to be 25 homer guy. I think he'll be like a 15 to 20 homer guy. But you know, even if he's like a 15 homer, 20 to 25 steel guy moving forward. That's still pretty damn valuable with a you know a solid enough average. I don't think he's gonna be 321 moving forward. His XBA is around 272. I think that's in the met, you know, 270, 280 range. 270, 15, 20. That's you know, borderline top 100 overall guy right there. Will he be top 100 long term? I don't know, but definitely moving him up my rankings a ton. Uh, and another guy moving up my rankings a ton. I'll let you, you know, this is down your neck of the woods, so I'll let you kind of take the lead here, Austin Riley, you watch him more than, you know, as a Braves fan a lot is the Austin Riley we're seeing this year legit. Should we expect this Austin Riley moving forward? Or do you think maybe the average is a little bit of a mirage? Well, I think, I think you expect regression. I'm, I'm not sure to what extent, but the Braves believed in him and have consistently believed in him. They could have traded him when he was at peak value and he was like, you know, a top 20 prospect for some people, but they didn't. They had the chance then when they were competing to cash out and and get someone big. And I think that was arguably his peak value as a like a real life player as a prospect. But you know, right now, you look what he's doing, and we've known the power is legit. You look at the batting average, and right now sitting at 299. Yeah, I don't think he's a going to be a 299 hitter rest of the season, but it wouldn't surprise me if he's a 275 hitter because I think the team has really believed that he could improve the contact metrics. He would cut the strikeout rates a little bit, and that's what he's done. I mean, 
you know, he's been very impressive. He's been a huge win for fantasy purposes. Now the BABIP's a little high. You look at that and you probably expect some regression. The BABIP for Riley is 386, but the power's legit. His walk rate's up. He's walking at a high rate. So, yeah, I'm not going to go as far to say that, like, he's a top 50 dynasty asset. Like, I've seen him go, like, that high in some mocks and stuff, which is kind of crazy. But do I think he's a borderline top 100 dynasty guy? Potentially so, because the big power is going to play. And if he can just hit 275, I think that's valuable. When you look at the context of Riley could hit 35-plus home runs. So, yeah, I'm definitely buying in. But I would kind of buy with caution because I think his value is really inflated right now. But he's solid. He's doing what the organization thought he could do and believed he could do all along. Yep. Yeah, I totally agree with you there. He's pushing top 100 for me as well. I do think there's going to be some average regression. You mentioned that BABIP's really, really high. But he has improved in a lot of areas. So I no longer think he's going to be a 240 hitter with 25 home runs. I think he's more like... 260 270 with 30 home runs so still a very solid profile you know borderline top 12 third baseman kind of in that 10 to 15 range probably uh so yeah very very impressed with what raleigh's done so far this year but i'm even more impressed speaking of you know similar profiles you know kind of matt olson has been absolutely bonkers over the last kind of month or two He's now up to 288, 373, 604 with 18 home runs in 260 plate appearances. All his quality of contact metrics are like 90th percentile or better. He's, you know, and we knew like that's nothing new. Like we knew he was a hit a ton of power. You know, he's always been that big power bat. But I'm liking a lot of what I'm seeing at the plate from him just, just as a hitter in general. You know, walk rate has dipped a little bit this year, but still 11.2%, 17% strikeout rate. That's down from 314 last year and 25.2 year before that. That's a career best rate you know, outside of his brief stint in 2016 and his rookie season. He is more aggressive in the zone, which I think is great. His zone contact rate has gone way up. His whiff rate has gone way down. I'm buying this. And now, you know, you put out your OBP rankings here. Is he back in the top 50 for you? Because I think if I was doing OBP rankings, he probably would be. Because he's in like the, I think I have him in like the 60 to 70 range now. Uh, for, so I think OBP, I probably have him at least 15, 20 spots higher than that. Where, where do you have him in your OBP rankings, Amber? Yeah, I think he's definitely top 50. And I'm still working to update those right now, the overall dynasty rankings. But I mean, He's been impressive, and I think the most impressive thing is the batting average. It's nuts to to see that. You know, I never right. thought that's something we would see. And you know, you go back to that rookie year when he kind of broke out over those you know two hundred sixteen plate appearances. And he hit twenty four home runs. He only hit two sixty then or two fifty nine. And you know, a lot of those batted balls went for home runs. I never saw him eclipsing like 250 for most of his career, even though in 2019, you know, 267 was good. But I think he's legit. I 100% think he's legit. And I think you make an argument right now, like after the Freeman and Bellinger, even Freeman struggled some this year. So that kind of is the top tier for me. But after that, I think it's pretty wide open. And the next tier of guys is like Alonzo 
and Olsen. And Olsen definitely deserves that edge. And I think he's honestly a tier ahead of Alonzo at this point with what we've seen. The power is exactly what you expect. The power is legit. And you know, you mentioned the contact metrics have improved a ton. He's improved the strikeout rates. The OBP, like you mentioned, he's walking at high clips. So yeah, I mean, I'm impressed. And I, I would I think it's fair to say he's the the third best first base in for dynasty leagues. You there? Yeah, no, I I hadn't thought about it until you just brought it up. I was going to ask you who you liked more out of him and uh, Pete Alonso, but you kind of just answered that. Yeah, I can't, you know, there's a few guys in that range, but yeah, there's none that I'm like clear cut. Yeah, he's number three at first base. You look, look at my rankings, yes, I have. Oh, wait a minute. Well, well, well Vlad, we, Vlad Jr. We forgot. Yeah, I was just thinking <laughs> we forgot one. I, I just put up my rankings. I'm like, oh, yeah, Vladdy. Um, okay, so Vladdy, one. Uh, Freeman, two. And then you got Bellinger, three. And then, yeah, you got uh, Pete Alonzo right there. You know, for Dynasty, I think Torque is in that range. Uh, DJ LeMahieu has kind of slipped a bit. Brayu has kind of slipped a bit. Vaughn isn't quite there. So, yeah, I think after those three, number four, it's Olsen or Alonzo. And, you know, Alonzo hasn't been terrible this year, but definitely no, nowhere near as good as Matt Olsen has been. Uh, so, yeah, especially in OBP, I think it's definitely Alonzo four there in average. It's closer, but I think he's still number four with what he's shown this year. And especially if some of these improvements at the plate can stick. So he's a you know, 260 plus hitter moving forward with the OBP always around 400. That is definitely, you know, in that 40 homer and bat, liking that a lot here. Let's move over, to, uh, talk a few pitchers here before we get out of here. I put up a couple of polls from our show Twitter account at Fantrax Toolshed uh, earlier today asking if Freddie Peralta or Kevin Gausman, if you, people were having them as top 25 Dynasty Arms. So, Chris, are either of these guys top 25 for you? And which performance this year between these two are you more buying into? Oh, that's tough. I mean, they're very, they're very different pitchers. Like They're, they're very polarizing <laughs> in that aspect. And for Dynasty, I have a hard time you know, justifying Galsman that high because of age. But then again, when we think about pitchers, sometimes they reinvent themselves at 30 years old and become – really good and we just remember the braves you know dfa in him in in 2019 and look at him now you know that's kind of nuts the jump that he's made and he's been stellar and i can't argue with what he's done and you know if it wasn't for the age i would say easily top 25 for dynasty but i think even still i think you have to say that because it's hard to find 25 arms that are you know performing at a high level have age on their side. When we look at dynasty factors, like even though I may not want to rank him top 25, I think he's definitely top 25. Now Peralta as well, you know, he's definitely one that's been intriguing. That's a big jump. I think that if the innings weren't a concern, which I'm afraid that they're going to shut him down or, you know, start throwing him less and less, but still, I mean, he's up to 68 innings so far and, you know, he's looked really good. The upside is definitely there for a top 25 arm. On the flip side, he's got age on his side while Galsman doesn't. Peralta's just turned 25 years old. 
So, yeah, long term, I think it's easy for me to say, yeah, like he's the next Milwaukee arm like we saw with Woodruff that came on and Burns. Like he's that guy that's that's taken that step, and I think he's legit. So, yeah, I think I have to say both are top 25, but Peralta is easier for me to say for dynasty purposes. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I don't think anybody wants to face Milwaukee in the postseason. Like right, right now they're tied with the Cubs, 38 and 28, atop the NL Central. Imagine getting into a series and you got to face Woodruff, Burns, and Peralta. You better hope you can shut down their offense, which obviously their offense isn't nearly as good as their pitching, especially with Hiria struggling and Yelich struggling and everybody else struggling. But yeah, that's a tough one, two, three to face. They're all nasty. You know, I, I, I kind of echo what you're saying. Like, I think they're both definitely in that conversation. And the poll results had Gaussman 74% yes as being a top 25 fantasy starting pitcher. Peralta, I worded it a little differently. I gave three options in that. But uh, 59% said yes right now. He is top 25. 27% said not yet but soon. And then only 14% said no, he's not. So, you know, about the same, um, I think. If I were to that the same as the Gaussman poll, but yeah, I'm more buying into you know, Freddie Peralta because you look at what his arsenal four pitch mix, four seamer slider, change up curveball, whiff rate above 32%, all four 32% whiff rate on his four seamer, 45.4% on his slider, 35% on the change up, and 41.7% on the curveball. That has not a lot of hit on the curveball. All the batting average against are under 170. All the slugging against under 300. You know, he is just getting, you know, his, he's one of the top extension guys, you know, around 7.2 feet of extension. You know, everything, you got to love everything he's been doing this year. You know, the walk rate, yeah, it's a bit high. It's like where Burns was last year. Right now it's at 10.9%, which isn't great, but that's not terrible. But you do want to see that improve, but... He's missing bats at a high rate. The X ERA is 249, right in line with his 225 ERA. So there's really been nothing fluky this year. So I think maybe right now you can both say that they are. But I think the one that has the better chance of sticking as top 25 is Peralta. And I have him on a lot of teams. So really liking what he's been doing this year. Um, one more, uh, two more names here. Uh, Tariq Skubal. He has really reinvented himself, you know, over the last month or so. Like he started off the season very poorly, but he has the number two strikeout rate since the beginning of May. Behind, uh, I think it was Max Scherzer. He got rid of the splitter, which was not a very good pitch for him at all. Went back to his changeup, which has been a pretty solid um, mix there. He's, you know, the breaking ball has been good. The fastball has been good. He's really kind of. Proving me wrong. I didn't think he was going to be this good. I really didn't. You still look at his savant page, a lot of blue there, but a lot of that you know, had to do with the beginning of his season, but really turned it around. You know, Are you believing in this turnaround, or you think this is just a hot stretch for a guy that's probably going to be in his career? No, I, I think he's legit because, you know, of those three, like we, we think back to when they were prospects, and you had Mize, and you had Scooball, and you had Manning. Scooball was always the one that was most intriguing to me because I thought there was the upside there. And, you know, the big fastball, and we wondered, you know, was it enough to play at the big league level? And, you know, he's it's been interesting to watch his, you know, progression of pitch mix 
change. And, you know, the, fast, the four seam is obviously his dominant pitch. He's using it 50% of the time. But, you know, last season he used it nearly 60% of the time. And we've seen him up the slider usage a lot, like you mentioned. The changeup has been, you know, he's using it less, actually, which is interesting. But then he's he's also using a curveball, a splitter, a sinker, and even a cutter, you know, to a lesser extent. Only used a couple times this year. But you look at the arsenal, and I think that, you know, he's got it working. He's got – he's he's finally fine-tuning it, I think, and he's making it what he knows he needs to be. And, and the forcing slider combo is obviously the predominant – use of pitches there and they've both been pretty good this year. You know, the fastball's been you know, hit kind of hard on some occasions, but I think that's been improving because at the beginning of the year you look at his heat map, he was just leaving it over the middle of the plate and he was letting them, you know, hit bombs off of him. And now he's kind of settled in some and I think that you know, I don't he's not going to continue to be this hot, but I think he's going to be a really serviceable starting pitcher for fantasy purposes and you know, I've been a fan of what I've seen out of him. Yeah, absolutely. And you mentioned like he's really has gone through. Uh, he's really kind of finding his pitch mix this year, but I think he might have found it because he has ditched the, I say he's ditched the splitter, gone back to just having a change up. He still uses the sinker. Like he threw that nine times. So, like his last start, four seamer 45% of the time, slider 25%, change up 11%, knuckle curve and sinker both 9%. And yeah, the slider, changeup, and and curveball have all been very good for him this year. All have batting average against under 200. The whiff, the whiff rate on the changeup has been near 50% with a 36% put-away rate. That might be his best pitch this year. So I'd like to see him up that usage more. Um, and he's really only a two-pitch guy. against. He'll, he'll throw any of these pitches against righties, but lefties, he's predominantly four-seam slider, so that does worry me a bit. But, yeah, I do think he's not this good, but I definitely have higher hopes for him now than I did a month or two ago. He's really, really shown me a lot in these last six, seven starts, and now that he's getting his pitch mix down um, to, you know, the four-seam slider, change-up curveball mostly, a little bit of sinker usage as well. But, you know, really, really impressed me here. One that... I'm starting to get a little worried about, not a lot, but a little worried about maybe he's not a the number one, number two dynasty arm. Shane Bieber, you know, this year he's still striking out a ton of batters, but the ratios are dipping a little bit. He doesn't look as crisp as he has you know, in years past. The walk rate is up to 8.6%, which is still decent, but very un-Bieber-like. That was sub 5% for the most part. He's getting hit, you know, hard this year. Um, you know, X ERA is 352. Like he's still good, but you think his stranglehold as you know number one, number two dynasty arm might be slipping a little bit there? Actually, yeah. I mean, when you look at how dominant Degrom has been, you know, it's hard to keep Bieber hit. I mean, even even age, you know, there's a big difference in age there. But Degrom's mileage, I, even with the injuries, I still think it it's safe to say DeGrom is the top arm for Dynasty. And I feel comfortable saying that. You mentioned, I mean, Bieber's always kind of been hit kind of hard. And it's just kind of hurt him a little more this year. I think he's got away with it some. And he's still been good. And we mentioned that. He's he's still been really good, but he's not been like SP1 good. We'll say that. I mean, yes, I think he's like 
still a number one starter for fantasy purposes, but not the SP one. I'll go ahead and say that. But I don't know. I I kind of go back and wonder, like, and you hate to, at this point to question the substance stuff, but yeah. it's definitely <laughs> worth thinking about. I mean, you know, his, he kind of made that quick meteoric rise, you know, and was so good because he wasn't that dominant as a prospect. Like we knew him as the guy that was, you know, had the great command and didn't walk a ton of guys. And so I wonder if he's kind of pulled off of that a little bit and it's hurt him. And we saw the walk rate kind of spike a little bit last season. And, you know, he still pitched at a dominant level and it's up even more this year. So I don't know, you know, he's been good, but he's not been like elite elite. So yeah, I have a little bit of concerns, but I'm not like overly concerned. Now, is he closer to DeGrom for you, or is he closer to, like, that 4-5 cluster of, like, all the Bs, Burns, Bueller, um, and uh, Woodruff? You think Is he closer to those guys, or is he closer to... I think he's kind of in the middle, but I think he might be getting closer to the... getting down towards that, you know, Burns range for me, personally. Yeah, I mean, you start factoring Garrett Cole and... I, I think know. I think Cole's two right now. Yeah, I would say Degrom's one easily. I don't care that he's thirty two. We we talked about the mileage on the arm isn't as high as most thirty two year olds. Think of Degrom as being twenty eight. I think that's where like his mileage probably is. So <laughs> yeah. yeah, think of him as twenty eight. And obviously he has like a zero point. He has like a negative ERA at this point. This doesn't, yeah, doesn't give up runs. Um, so yeah, he's definitely one. I think Cole is two now. But yeah, I think I think that you know it's not really a clear cut three anymore. I think it's some of these guys are starting to inch up into that conversation, like the Burnses and and Woodrow. You know, Burns has kind of not been as great recently, but yeah, I think Bieber might be slipping a little bit down to that range. Yeah, he's still my three, I think, but yeah, yeah he is for me too, as right now. It's but somewhere between Cole and the next guy, and then that next group, I, I wouldn't say he's closer to either or right now. Yeah. All right, a lot of stuff we just got through, and that's going to wrap us up. Thank you to everyone again for listening this week. We all we appreciate you all greatly, and all of our Patreon subscribers as well. You can sub- sign up there, patreon.com slash toolshed. You can follow us on Twitter. I'm Eric Cross 4 Chris is at RotoClegg, and our show is at Fantrax Toolshed. Check out all of our written work at fantraxhq.com. And we will be back with you all again next week with more Dynasty and Prospect talk. But until then, everyone take care. Stop using the spider pack. Yeah.